Um, so uh, we are in the middle of, or starting, I guess we're not quite in the middle of yet, uh, we're, we're st- but we've started. Uh, Galatians, we're, we're in chapter 1 there. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning is verses 11 through 24. So if you want to turn there, if you're a note taker, um, you, you can get prepared to, to do that. As you're finding your way to Galatians, I'm going to talk to you about 15 surprising things made from recycled material, okay? Uh, the first is kitty litter. At least some brands of kitty litter are produced, made by recycled newspapers, and are sourced locally from different centers whenever possible. Interesting, right? And the reason that they do that is because other kitty litter that's uh, kind of a clay-based is lots of, lots of dust to that. And so newspapers, they're not only recycling, but it eliminates some of that dust. Um, here's one that you maybe are going to be sad that you heard. Soap. You may be surprised to learn that hotels don't always throw out their soap that's, uh, you know, mostly intact. Does that make you happy? Well, let me, let, me, let me redeem this quality for you. Okay, so instead of throwing it out, there are services that will take this leftover soap and they will kind of reform them and then they will ship them to foreign countries. And I don't know if that makes that better or worse, um, but that's how they do it. And uh, so that's one thing that is recycled. Here's another thing that's made of recycled material, roads. Maybe you know this, but old roads... Parking lots, roof shingles even, they use those to repave our roads. Maybe that's why they break so much here in Michigan. Uh, Trophies, right? Trophies. These are recycled glass, steel, or other material. Uh, Perhaps you've received a plaque from work or something. That very well used to have maybe been a window somewhere else, okay? Winter jackets. The polyester lining inside is often made from plastic bottles, sometimes up to more than 150 different plastic bottles, making up your winter jacket. Automotive parts. These are often made from things like bottle caps, paper clips, uh, the seat cushions themselves, the wheel liners, splash guards, all those things are often made from recycled materials. Tennis balls. This is used from shaved rubber from other things. Even some of the tennis balls. As they're making them and as they're forming them, they come up with waste. Those just go back into it and they continuously will reuse that and, and then you have tennis balls. Playground equipment. Do you know that there's a lot of plastic playground equipment that used to be milk jugs? So technically, these kids are building their own playground equipment, right? I mean, that's how it is in my house. We go through milk pretty fast there. They should have their own jungle gym by now. Uh, Baseball bats, uh, aluminum ones at least, are made of things like aluminum cans, pie tins, old license plates, bricks. Now, I wouldn't have guessed this. But at least on this one website that I found this from, they said that bricks will actually re- uh, are somewhat some to some percentage are made up of recycled glass shavings. Brings a whole new concept to living in a glass house, doesn't it? Uh, sleeping bags made of plastic or fibrous materials, sometimes even coconut shells, coconut husks, which with this. You know, we go through these different fads and stuff. And so right now, you know, coconut oil for the past couple of years has been really, really popular. This is what they do with the husks. They just put them in sleeping bags. Egg cartons are made from newspapers often. Here's another interesting one. Coffins. Several companies offer environmentally friendly coffins. Some are biodegradable and made from recycled paper or even bamboo. Pretty cool, right? Stadium seats are often made of recycled plastic and scrap iron. Here's the last of the 15 that are interesting. And again, this I don't know if, this is, if you're happy about this or not. 
uh, toothbrushes are often, the, the plastic in the toothbrush is often made from recycled yogurt cups. However, on the site they said, but that's a, don't worry, the bristles are usually always new. So, so there you go. At least that part's new, right? Now, the reason I am telling you about these semi-interesting facts that you can now impress your family with, you're welcome, is that these things all have something in common. Do you know what it is? There you go. It was all something that was old that was now made new. Something that was something else before and is now something totally different, right? In this section of scripture, that's what we're going to talk about. Paul describes this gospel and the effect that it has on his life as it has transformed him. So there's really four parts, okay? So if you're a note taker, these aren't going to be exactly what the notes are, but basically there's four parts. The first part is this revelation of God's gospel in 11 through 12. The second part is the old man of death in 13 and 14. The third part is the new man of life in 15 through 17. And then this testimony of God's grace in 18 through 24. Okay? Here is the word of God. Uh, we're going to read it through together. Uh, so for, he starts out, so he wants them to know something. I would have you know, what is it? That the gospel that was preached by me, so again, we're talking about this gospel, this message of good news that was preached by him. Where did it come from? It's not man's gospel, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. For he did not receive it from any man. So again, he's going back to the apostles who are, who are over in Jerusalem or Peter or James or John. He's saying, you know, he, was, he got it not from any man, from Jesus, remember, nor was I taught it. And then he says, but I received it through a revelation special of Jesus Christ, right? And now he's going to get into his recycling. Because they have heard of his former life in Judaism. Remember, if you know anything about Paul, you know that he was there holding the coats as, as uh, Stephen was stoned to death. Uh, he was the young man who was watching over things, make sure nobody stole anything while the rest of these Jews were stoning Stephen to death. And so that's not all that he is known for in Judaism. And so his previous life, he says, how he persecuted the church of God violently, tried to destroy it. This is what he was doing. He was going from city to city, town to town, seeking to find out those who were followers of Christ. And he was seeking to uh, destroy their churches, destroy them. He was turning them into the Jerusalem council and all those kind of things. And he also says some more things about himself. Uh, he says, I was advancing in Judaism behind many of my own age, many of my people, uh, so he was, he was well-learned. He was growing in that. Uh, so in Judaism specifically, right? So uh, he was going to school for that. We talked about he was under Gamaliel. If you remember that from previous weeks, he was advancing. So he was, um, it's this idea of kind of like climbing the corporate ladder, but not exactly uh, because he's getting recognized for his knowledge and his education, but also for, as he says here, as his zealous pursuit for that which he would consider the glory of God. Because remember, he's considering these Christians are false teachers as a false sect because they don't believe in the Messiah, right? So he's persecuting them, and so he thinks that that's good, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, so there's a change. You see this? Yes. In Scripture, as you're reading through, look for things like that, those those transformative words in the text. But 
therefores, howevers, those kind of things, right? So when you see those in the text, understand that the, that the author is, is about to make a comparison or about to change his, change his trajectory, change what he's talking about. And so that's often in the text. So as you're studying through and as you're reading through Galatians, you can pick up on those things uh, as you're going through this. But when he would set me apart before I was born, so that's the first thing, he was set apart before he was born, right? First. Second, who has called me by his grace, and then after, in doing this, calling him by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So there's a kind of a trajectory here. He was called before, and I'm sorry, he was set apart before. He didn't even know that. Then he was called by his grace, and then through that, he was pleased to receive the son unto me. So, there's, so as, you're, as, as you're writing through, as you're taking your own notes, as you read through Galatians, you can kind of see those, those, those stepping stones that, that Paul is using in his logic to kind of get to a point. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do too, okay? So, so keep bearing with me here. Um, to reveal his son to me. Why? So he was called ahead of time. He was given this grace. He was pleased to reveal. Why? That's why it's helpful to have these English markers. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's the whole purpose for this first section. He was called. He was sanctified. He was justified. He was, he was uh, revealed to him so that he might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he tells us about what he did. So that, that happened. So this is, the, this is the answer to these things up here. And then how did he do that? I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Now, again, he's talking about those who are in Jerusalem, right? So he says, I didn't go back and I didn't receive anything from them. And we know that by where he continues his train of thought. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. So I didn't go see Peter and Paul and James and John. And I'm sorry, not Paul. He wouldn't talk about himself. But I, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And remember, the road on Damascus, that's where he had this revelation of the Son of God anyway. So then after three years, so this is the end of our text for this morning, and then we'll get into the, the message that I have for you and, and hopefully uh, how, how we should maybe uh, apply this to ourselves today. So then he gives us kind of a timeline. Now, by the way, here's, here's, here's a tidbit that I would, I would recommend to you. So I, you should, I hope you're already reading Galatians, right? That's what I've, I've asked you to do. I think it's beneficial for you to do that because you're going to see your own things in this, and then you're going to come here, and you're going to hear maybe a different spin on what the Holy Spirit has given me on this, right? Um, you should read Acts also, at least, I think it's, I think it's the chapter 9 there uh, of Acts. Uh, Luke, in part of Acts, records Paul's journey. So if you want to see like another record of what he's talking about here, of what he's saying here, you can see that in Acts. That's, that's, that's in that section in Acts, Okay. Um, so if you're a note taker, you can write that down. Maybe, maybe you already knew that. Maybe you didn't. But he talks about what he's, what he's doing and where he goes and when he goes there. So after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit with Cephas. That's, that's Peter, by the way. Uh, so that's what he will often call Peter. He kind of goes back and forth and remained with him for 15 days. It was a short visit because if you read Acts, you'll see what happened in there. I could tell you, but I'm not. So... And then, so here's that, that he's transitioning again, right? So I remained with him for 15 days. So, so after three years, then I went. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, right? And he's gonna, later he's going to mention John too. So he sees just a couple of the apostles. Now remember, he's writing this this way. Now we, we're looking at this week by week because I understand it would be too much. We'd be here all day. Um, we, we would be, it would be very Puritan of us to just go through the whole book all at once. And, and, and that's, that's, that's cool, but... I don't know if my voice could always stand that long. So we have to remember in context of this, remember Paul is writing this because he was under attack and basically saying like, 
you're not a real apostle. These guys are the real apostles. You're just a Johnny come lately, right? You don't have any authority. You don't, you, you know, uh, and there's extra stuff that they're teaching. Remember these, these false teachers that we're talking about? And so, so he's saying, look, I, I, didn't, I didn't see a bunch of these other guys. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need their rubber stamp is, is, is in essence what he's saying, although he, he does receive that, right? Um, so but I saw none of the other apostles except James and Lewis. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul, Paul will sometimes say this, which is, which is interesting too, uh, but it's good to know. Uh, then I went into the region of Syria uh, and Cis, uh, Cis, wherever that is, Cilicia, um, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judah, Judea uh, that are in Christ. Okay, so what he's saying is, so after three years I went, it was short-lived. You'll have to read about Max, why that was. And then he left again, continued on his missionary journey, all right? And because of, because of his lack of time in Jerusalem, the word about him was still not spread around, right? Except for that he used to be a persecutor of the church. And that's what he says. Uh, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith, once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Amen. He used to be a milk bottle, and now he's a playground. <laughs> Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Lord, we confess that we sometimes claim this powerful blood of Christ, and yet it fails to live its way out in the newness of Christ in our own flesh. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling us. We thank you for renewing us. We thank you for equipping us. We thank you for being patient and long-suffering with us as you have your way in us. And so, Lord, Lord, as we come before you today and as we look at this text and as we seek to apply it, we ask that you would renew us more, use us more, that you would bring us more, more of you and less of ourselves. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. All right, so if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I think that we need to see from this text. We are in need of grace. And I mean every single one of us. We are in need of grace. Uh, the section that I'm getting this from, I'm not going to read it over again. You have it in your Bible, or, and you see it up here for just a minute, is, is 13 through 14. That's where I want to focus on here. The first point and that, I, that I think this shows uh, that why we're in need of grace is, is this. We are not neutral. We are born opposed to God. Look at the life of Paul. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5.10 tells us, For if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So in the Old Testament and in the New, both understand the fact that we are born opposed to God. There is no such thing as neutral. We live in a society, we live in a world, we live in a culture. Perhaps you're from a family that would like to tell you that people are not all that bad. That we just need to give people breaks. That they, you know they're they're just simply a a product of their environment, right? And that if things would have only been different, then they would be different too. 
And a lot of times we feel that way about ourselves. And, and you know, I, that's not altogether totally untrue. So for those of you who have been hurt, who have been wounded, who have some deep scars that have affected you in your life, m- my heart goes out to you and I am sorry for that. But scripture also tells us very clearly that we are dead in our trespasses. That when we're left to ourselves, we choose sin. We choose death. We choose ourselves. Calvin wrote that our hearts are a factory of idols. What he meant by that is, if you take one idol away from me, I will replace it immediately with something else. And so what Paul says here is, you've heard of my former life in Judaism. You, you, you've heard of who he was. We've heard of who he was, even to this day. He was absolutely opposed to Christians. All the way from the stoning of Stephen that I, I mentioned earlier, through the rest of his exploits as he's going through. Do you remember what happened on the road to Damascus? He said, you are persecuting me. Who, who am I persecuting? The Lord Jesus Christ. He, he shows us that it wasn't just the church, it's personal. And so there's not good people. The world tries to tell us that, we're, that there's just good people who make bad choices, right? Scripture tells us that we are brought forth in iniquity. Scripture tells us that while we were enemies with God. So parents... Your kids are not good kids. Grandparents, I know this is really shocking for you, right? Grandparents, your grandkids are not good kids. I don't have to tell you that about your kids, right? You've lived long enough. Spouse, your spouse is not good. Kids and grandkids your grandparents and your parents are not good. You see, we are all still struggling with opposition to God because we're born that way. And so the question I want to ask you for this first section of this is we are in need of grace. Where are you still struggling with opposition to God? You know, the the good news of the gospel is not just that Christ died for you for your sin. That's absolutely true. But it's also that he wants to live in you and, and change you. Now, so we are saved in Christ alone, by faith alone, and that's it. And scripture is very clear. You do not have to clean up your life before you come to Christ. You come to Christ right where you are. You believe right where you are. In my own testimony, if you've not heard my own testimony, I'm I'm just going to give you a a short portion of it right now. I was literally, came to Christ with a red Solo cup in my hand, half inebriated at a party. True story. So I think God's grace, his mercy, his saving gospel can penetrate us even, even when we're not in our right minds. But he also calls us to something. He calls us out of darkness into light. So where are we still struggling with this opposition to God? Do we even know what opposition to God looks like in our own hearts? 
You know, that's one thing about the body of believers. That's one thing that's great about the word is the more that we read the word, I think here's part of the reason why, why the word is called a two-edged sword. Are you ready for this? The more I read the word, the more I think to myself, there is no hope for me, for me by myself. If, if Jesus didn't die for me, I am doomed. Because the more I read scripture, the more I understand how filthy I am, how dark my thoughts are. The, the more I read scripture, the more I understand that we are not neutral. We are born opposed to God. That's what I see all the time. But the other end of that blade is, the more I read it, the more I see how good God is, how long-suffering he is, how patient, how kind, how generous, how loving, how as far dark and deep and down I can be that he is always there beside me, never leaving, never forsaking. And so we are in need of God's grace, firstly, because we are not neutral. We are born opposed to God. Second thing I think this shows us is without Jesus, we only leave destruction in our wake. And I want to put the the third one on there, too, because I think they go together so well. Without Jesus, we have nothing in our lives but worldly pursuits. And and I actually, as I was thinking through this last night, I I, I wanted to to switch these maybe in in order. So that's why I'm putting all three of them up at, at once. Without Jesus, we leave nothing in our lives but worldly pursuits. We have nothing. And without Jesus, we only leave destruction on a rake. Romans 6, 21. Now remember, so I said this at the beginning. I, at least I, I believe that I said it at the beginning. If I didn't, I'll say it now. A lot of scholars think that Galatians was like the precursor to Romans. And you can see so many similarities and so many overlaps in those two wonderful works. Okay? Um, so read Romans 2. If, 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 not Romans chapter 2. I mean, read Romans also along with Galatians if, if you'd like to um, see that more clearly. But... Romans 6, 21, written by Paul, I I believe. This is what he says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Without Jesus, we only leave destruction in our wake. And without Jesus, we have nothing in our lives but worldly pursuits. I don't know if some of my friends from high school ever watch me preach or if they'll ever come to this church and hear me preach. But I love them, and sometimes when we get together, it makes me sad, only, not, not because of them. I love them, and I long to see them, and if, if they are watching, I, I love you guys, and I can't wait for us to get together again. But sometimes when we get together, some of the things they talk about are things like this. Hey, John, you remember at that party when you... X, and I'm like, first of all, no, because I was at that party, and I, and I was X, okay? So, like, so no, I, I don't remember that, firstly. Secondly, brother, I don't want to remember that. I pray every day and thank the Lord that, that I don't remember that. Why are you bringing that up to me? These, what fruit were you getting at the time of the things of which you are now ashamed? I don't glory in that. I don't glory in being loud and obnoxious at the party. But it is not a fruit of anything that I look forward to. In fact, that is what reminds me of the depth of my own despair and my own depravity. You see, we are selfish people in pursuit of selfish choices and selfish things. Without Jesus, we only leave destruction in our wake. Even for those who seem to, on the surface, be doing really well. 
And without Jesus, there's nothing except for worldly pursuits. Look what Paul says here. So if you have a copy of God's word, hopefully you're still there in 1, 13 through 14. He says, he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. So extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his fathers. And then later in this text, he's going to write, and later in Romans, he's going to write, and what good were those? What are they worth? And in Romans, he says, and what fruit were you getting for the times of which you're now ashamed? Do you think Paul ever looked back at the time he was holding coats as Stephen was being stoned with anything less than self-loathing? <laughs> he said he was a scribe and a Pharisee. He was, he was advancing. Matthew 23, 13 talks about woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. That section in there, 13 through 27, is all about those people who are pursuing worldly things. You see, nothing will be fulfilling, nothing will bring fulfillment outside of Jesus. This world lies to us. It tells us that we can find happiness or pleasure only in that which God gives. It tells us we can find that in the world. It's just not there. So what is this grace that we need? Whose grace is it? Well, I'm glad that you asked. This is Jesus' work of grace. If you didn't know that, now you know. This is in this next section, Galatians 1, 15 through 17. The first point of that section there, remember what I said is, is the but, and so I'll leave that up there for, for just a minute, but when he would set me apart. So this is this change in the text. This is this act of recycling, renewing. So the first point I have for you there is, is the only way out of our life of death is Jesus. That's it. So, we don't do altar calls here much, but today is one. You, I don't, you don't have to come up here to be saved. That, that's, that you can choose to do that if you want. But here's the point. We are in need of grace. Jesus is the worker of this grace. The only way out of your life of death is Jesus. If you want to receive Christ today, I would ask that you would talk to him right now. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to walk you through any kind of prayer. You don't have to come forward. If this is you and you're here in this room today, I would really want for you to talk to me afterwards because I would love to rejoice with you and welcome you into the family. If you're online, I would love to hear from you and touch base with you and welcome you into the family. And if you're not local, I would love to direct you to another Bible preaching church where you can get discipled and fed and ministered to. But this is what you, churches might call a, a, an invitation or an altar call. Without Christ, you are doomed, you are damned, you are defiled, you are dirty. With Jesus, you are made new. And he wants to give that to you today. And so if you don't know that Jesus, I would ask that you would receive Jesus today. The gospel is this, basically. The gospel is that we in and of ourselves are, are dead, we're damned, like I just said. There is a great chasm between us. There is a great gulf, which is our sin. The wages of that sin is death. And so the bottom of that chasm is a bottomless pit called hell. And so the separation that we receive from God is holy and is just because he can allow no 
sin into his presence because he is perfect, he is righteous, he is just, he is holy. And so the only hope that we have, it doesn't matter how far we jump, it doesn't matter what we think we have to carry us to the other side, there is a chasm and a gulf between us that cannot be passed over amongst anything other than the cross of Christ. And so this illustration goes like this, that we are left here and this cross from heaven comes down and it spans the gap from one scarred head to the other. And it is by Christ through faith in him that he has taken our sin, our filth, our dirt, that he stands in the gap between us and the Lord. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. And if we put our hope and our trust in him, he will carry us from the land of death to the land of life, and we will be forgiven. And we will no longer have to worry about the chasm or the gap because once we receive Christ, the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth, believe in our hearts, that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, that we can know that we are saved, that we are his. We can have what is called assurance of your salvation, not insurance, because that's something that you get at the end of something after an accident. Assurance means you can have that right now. And so we need Jesus' work of grace. The only way out of this life of death is Jesus. So here is your invitation, O beloved. Call out to Jesus. Ask for him to save you. Because no one who does that will be put to shame. He will answer that prayer. Absolutely. And then you can thank him that you are now a child of the Most High King, that you now have been guaranteed eternal life. And your next step then is how do you live out your new life in Christ? Which brings me to the next point. When Jesus breaks in, everything changes. I mean, everything changes. Now, some people have these crazy testimonies. Some people have these testimonies like, look, I was, I was on the side of the road and I was shooting up heroin and then this gospel track fell out of the sky and landed on my arm where I was about to, and then I became a Christian. I threw the needle down. I went to church and now I'm leading in the praise team. And it's like, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. But you know what else happens? Sometimes the testimony goes something like this. I was raised in a Christian household. My parents were great. And I went to church and I thought I understood it and I thought I knew it. And my life, my life felt empty. I was never arrested, never smoked, never chewed, never hanged with girls that do, right? That, that was my life. And then one day I was sitting there and all of a sudden it dawned on me that I was in need of a savior. And so I prayed in the pew by myself and I received Christ. And from that day, not a whole lot of outward things changed, right? Because this was the life that I was always, I was always kind of on the straight and narrow stuff. But now there's a hope, now there's a joy, now there's a peace. People can't always see that, but oh, brother, it's there. And so everybody's testimony is a little different. You don't have to have any kind of crazy testimony, but I can tell you this, when Jesus breaks in, everything changes. Everything changes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to what Paul says. You have the text there, 15 through 17. But when he had set me apart before I was born. I didn't even know I was his yet. And then eventually he called me and he was pleased to reveal his son to me. And he gave him a purpose. Instead of a persecutor, he was a preacher. He went to the, them and, and then this brings me to the last, the last point of this section. When he calls you, please don't wait. Do not think to yourself, oh, I, I feel like 
I feel like pastors talking to me. Well, brother, it ain't me. It's the Lord. And so if you feel that way, act now. Paul doesn't wait. Look what it says. I immediately, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't ask anybody. Jesus revealed himself to me. And so I said, I'm out of here. I'm going. Nor did I go to Jerusalem or those other people. I went straight to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He did exactly what he was called to do right then. You know, this is a good message for those who have already accepted Jesus too, isn't it? If you feel like the Lord is calling you to something, brother or sister in Christ, don't wait. What are you doing? You're playing with fire. When you're called by him, don't wait. Matthew 4.20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Matthew 4.22, immediately they left the boat and their father had followed him. Luke 9, 59 through 60, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We need to follow where he calls. We need to be adamant about doing that. I have another point, but it's time to end. Did somebody just say preach? preach. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess you all already have uh, soup down there waiting for you, don't you? So, How does one that have received this grace look or act or walk? Well, I'm glad you asked uh, how does Paul do it? Walking in faithfulness to Christ. We see that here in the text in 15 through 17. He says, uh, after he had been called, after he'd been set apart, immediately he, he goes, right? And then 18 through 24, it shows what he does. And I'm going to pull four points out of this uh, that I think we see in the text here that, that I would say this is what walking in faithfulness in Christ um, can look like broadly. Okay, for you personally, that's going to look something different to each one of us individually because God has called us each to individual unique walks with him. Okay, but broadly, I think these are the four things that we see in the text. The, 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 the first then is this, your walk with Christ is a personal walk with Christ. You cannot just be getting fed on Sunday. You can't. Here's a challenge for you. If that's how you're living your walk with the Lord, if this, if this is the only spiritual meal you get, don't feed yourself the rest of the week either. You can only eat after church on Sunday for, for lunch. That's it. Don't eat the rest of the week. You tell me how long you want to live like that. And I know some of y'all are thinking I'm just being hyperbolic or just messing with you, but do you, you, know, you know that's called starvation, right? One meal out of seven days, one meal. Right, that's what Jesus said. I don't know if you heard him. Give us today our daily bread. Your walk with Christ is a personal walk with Christ. Notice the eyes in this text. So if you have a copy of God's word, I'm going to read it for you. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. But I saw none of those. In what I am saying, I am not lying. Then I went into the regions, and I was still unknown. And they praised the Lord because of me. Notice all the eyes there. Paul is seeking to walk personally with Christ. Paul is a passionate pursuer of Christ. 
Peter struggles with this too. Uh, John 21, 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. He was talking about John. He was, uh, context, right? So uh, this was this argument about the apostles and how they were going to die. And they were t- telling him about this stuff. And then Peter was like, well, well, what about him? And then Jesus' response was, what do you care about anybody else's walk? You follow me. Don't worry about them, Peter. Follow me. It's a personal walk with the Lord. How are you doing with your personal devotional time, with your prayer time, with your worship time? What is your walk with Jesus like? Is it strong or is it weak? And be honest with yourself. I'm not asking you to share this with everybody in the room. You don't have to be embarrassed. But at least be honest with your own heart and with the Lord. Second, your walk with Christ is meant to be lived out among other believers. Well, how can those two things be? Well, look around you. Look at the rest of Scripture when it talks about that we are a body made to be with one another. You see, sometimes in our society, in our culture, I think we're really good at screwing this up one way or the other. You hear about people who say things like, I don't need the church. I walk with the Lord. And, and they may, and they study their Bible regularly, daily. They are praying regularly. They're worshiping in their own house regularly by themselves. And by all appearances, it looks like, man, they've got a very good walk with the Lord, but they're never in the body of believers. You know, Hebrews tells us that we are neglecting things then. We're a, we're a body. And then for most of us, I think for most of us, that's not the way we screw it up. We screw it up here. Or we're like, oh yeah, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to participate in things and, and this kind of stuff and I'm going to be a, a generally an active member of the body, right? But we're so weak over here. Monday through Saturday, we rarely even pick up the word. Or when we do, if we're honest, like we're not, we're not so jazzed about it. Did you know faithfulness to Christ doesn't mean you're always jazzed about reading? Here's a shock. You ready? I'm not always jazzed to read the Bible and pray. Your pastor is not always jazzed to read the Bible and pray. Should you fire me? No. You know what you should do? You should pray for me. You should pray that that's rare, and you should pray that I do it anyway. Just do it anyway. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, grab your cotton candy and skip down the road. But your walk with Christ is meant to be personal, but it's also meant to be lived out among other believers. We need one another. I need to be rebuked when I need to be rebuked. I need to be encouraged when I need to be encouraged. I need to have people weep with me when I weep and laugh with me when I laugh or rejoice with me when I rejoice. And so do you. Thirdly, as I see here in the text, your walk with Christ ought to make others recognize the difference in you. And this is not for you to be slapped on the back or for people to congratulate you. Not at all. But that's what we see in the text. Paul was changed. He was a new creation. There was something that was different about him. Your walk with Christ ought to make others recognize the difference in you. There ought to be something different about the way you parent, about the way you you, uh, talk to your spouse, the way you talk about your spouse when they're not around. There ought to be something different about the way that you work, your attitude at work, your attitude at school. There ought to be something, this is going to hurt, there ought to be something different about the way you drive down the highway. The way that you shop, there's a radical change in Paul. Is there a radical change in you? You know, I think so often, myself included, so often we get caught up in praying for God to do things for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
but we don't often pray enough about for God to actually change us. I pray for things like, God, you, you know, I'm just going to give something out there. Don't, you know, whatever. Sometimes I have to be careful with what I say from up here because then you all will take it like super literally and be like, oh, I'll pray for you too, pastor, with that. And, uh, okay, I'm just, this is, this is, you know, sometimes I'll pray something like, you know, Lord, uh, please heal my uh, body because I, I, I did something stupid and I, I hurt myself and so I need for you to, to heal me. It's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I should also probably be praying something like, Lord, I, I recognize the weakness of my body. Will you please be my strength? Will you please help me to have glory and praise during this day when I'm physically struggling? Will you please guard me from the desire to care more about myself than others, even though I'm in pain? There's nothing wrong with playing, praying for ourselves, but we also... We ought to have others recognize the difference in us. We ought to be praying more for that. And then lastly, as we close, your walk with Christ should bring glory to God. That's why all this matters. That's what Paul wanted. Do you see in the end of the text there, he says that they were actually, they were actually glorifying God because of him. And here's what Paul's point is. They weren't glorifying God because, great, now we've got Paul the scholar who's going to write all these new books. No, they were glorifying God because they said, our God's real. And look at him act. Look at what he did. He took that milk jug and he made a toothbrush, right? He, 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 he took that pile of rubbish and he made a work of art. Our walk with Christ should bring glory to God. It's not for our own accolades. Witness so those can know about Jesus. Worship so that God might be glorified in your life. This is not a point on the screen, but I, I do want to end with this. This is not legalism. That is absolutely the opposite of what Paul is talking about in this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. It's not from me. For I did not receive it from any man, nor I was taught, but I was received it through revelation of Jesus Christ, brother or sister, if you want to receive Christ, the only way you can do that is by the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus, through what he's done. Brother or sister who's listening, who's already received Christ, the only way that we can actually live our life like this is through Christ. It doesn't just end at salvation where we say, oh, I needed Christ to be saved and now I just walk all by myself. No, you needed Christ to be saved and you need Christ through the whole sanctification process. Absolutely. So, as we close, I just want to simply offer this. If you have not received this new life in Christ, I want to beg you, please do that today. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Secondly, if you have received this new life in Christ, let us continue to lift one another up to pray that we will not be left wanting, but rather that our lives would be changed and renewed and restored daily, that his spirit would always be showing us the dark areas of our heart that we need to give over so that he could receive more glory, more praise through what he's doing in us and through what he's doing through us to those around us. That is the power of this great gospel that Paul preaches that has changed him and by God's grace changes us. Let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the change 
that you wrought in Paul. We have his word because of that change that you wrought in him. God, I pray for all of us who are gathered here, either physically or online. For those who have not yet received you, God, I pray that you would put such a burden on their heart that you would pursue them to the point that they must yield and give up to you and that that would be the best day of their life. For those who do already know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I ask that you would just continue to strengthen, to work in, on, through, to us that we might every day die to self and be born anew to you. Recycle us, renew us, remake us after your own image so that you might receive glory for you are worthy. And all God's people said, amen. Now, uh, let's go get the